today is it's, it's just going to kind of be an introduction to what we'll be looking at all the month of January to start our year. I'll be um, preaching out prayer in the life of the church, and I'll be doing that, looking at how the early church, the newborn church, if you will, in the book of Acts, how they prayed. And in particular, I just want to spend um, the next four weeks um, looking at how there were important moments, important crossroads, important seasons, important opportunities in the life of that early church that were met by prayer, begun by prayer, that, that prayer was crucial to how that all went. And I, it feels like we are certainly at a place in the life of our church, like we're, we're facing big momentous decisions, how we go about moving into the future. And so um, I just wanted to take this opportunity starting the year to kind of lead us into making sure we're approaching this as a praying uh, church. Um, and, I wanna, and I wanted to make sure right off the bat that we're that we're approaching this sort of with a grace approach, not like a guilt approach, like a can approach instead of an ought to or should approach. Um, I went to a Southern Baptist seminary, and I, I remember like one of the first days of class, my evangelism professors telling the class, you know, we're Southern Baptist, and um, we, we don't necessarily do more evangelism than other denominations, but we sure do feel more guilty and other denominations about the evangelism we don't do, right? So this, it, would be, it would be very easy for just us to come in and hear about prayer, and it's like, you ought to be doing this, and you ought to be doing that, and ought to, ought to, ought to, should, 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 and, and, and we would just feel guilty because this person was a great person of prayer, and they prayed all day, and da, 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 and we, we tend to look at the example of the early church, and we kind of just get this ought to, should, guilty feeling, and... Um, and really what I want to do in January is just not only as we just kind of look at how they approached these big moments, but also to just realize that um, we have the very same life in us that they did, right? This, Jesus didn't like move off to a new neighborhood at the end of the book of Acts, right? Jesus didn't say, well, that's that. Um, we have the same life in us that they had in them, um, and, and I hope you understand what I mean by those two different approaches. So um, I when I hear people say, well, that was a convicting sermon, sometimes I just go, well, I hope it was more than that. I don't really just want you walking around feeling convicted all the time. Goodness, I don't like feeling just convicted all the time, right? Um, I just want this to be encouraging, and I want us to be empowered for this, which is why I'm not starting in the book of Acts. It's why I'm starting in the book of Luke. Um, Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, if you didn't know that. Um, so it's, like, it's kind of like Luke-Acts. And um, if, if Acts is, is called the continuing work of Jesus in the church, right? If at the beginning of Acts it says, I've already written to you about all the things Jesus did and said, and I'm going to continue to talk about all the things Jesus did and said through his church when the Holy Spirit came, um, and let's just kind of reverse engineer this a bit, if we will. Um, wouldn't, wouldn't we expect to see in the book of Acts some of what Jesus did in the book of Luke, right? Wouldn't we expect the life of Christ in Act Luke to be coming out in the book of Acts? And I did not know this till this week. Um, 
that some people call the gospel of Luke, the gospel of prayer, that, that Luke mentions prayer more than any other gospel, 41 times in the gospel of Luke. And you just kind of, you know, if you've studied the gospels much, you know Luke is like the careful historian. Luke's like getting everything in order, and he's interviewing people, and you're like, yeah, Mr. Careful Luke. Okay, well, he was careful to make sure we knew about prayer. 41 times it's mentioned. And so... Um, Luke actually starts with prayer. In the very beginning story, Zechariah is in the temple. You know, when the angel comes down, like, hey, you're going to have a baby. Um, The people are outside praying when that happens. And then when Luke ends, it ends with praise. They're worshiping. Jesus ascends. So it ends, begins with prayer, ends with praise. And, um, And we know, I mean... Goodness, so many ways to approach this. Prayer is not complicated, which mean, doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not complicated. Like, but like, how does God who lives outside of time answer our prayers The people who live inside of time? How does God, we just did Revelation, God obviously has an end game in mind. He knows where history is going, so then what do our, does he work our prayers into how history goes? Like, but then you start adding a new wrinkle because we're talking about the prayer life of the Son of God. Like, how does prayer function if you're a member of the Trinity? The Son of God steps out of eternity into time. He puts on flesh and blood. He gets all the experiences of being tired and hungry and living in relationship with difficult human beings. And he continues in this relationship of talking with the Father that he's had before time began. Um, So we're going to look at four prayers. Or at least, no, we're not looking at four prayers. I take that back. We're looking at four times Jesus prayed because in each of these times, we don't much have the content of the prayers. Like, we know he prayed. Um, we know what sort of, we know who he was talking to. We can kind of imagine the emotion of the situation. Um, but I don't want to get a lot of time speculating like what exactly he said. But what I want to do is just look at four quick instances or occasions that are like turning points, if you will, or just really, really key moments in the life of Jesus where, where prayer was happening. And there's, we could look at four more and then four more than four more. We could spend the year talking about the prayer of Jesus. I'm looking at four just to get us into the book of Acts. And um, the first one is in Luke chapter 3. I've got this all in you version if you want to follow along there, but if you brought a print Bible, you can follow along that way. Uh, Luke chapter 3, and it's... It's at the baptism, and I don't, this is just kind of one of those things where you go, oh, I've read this a million bazillion times, and, and we'll look at that. Didn't notice that before. Um, and we're not going to get a lot of context because I'm, I don't want to get, but anyway. Um, John the Baptist is baptizing. He's out preparing the way for Jesus, and all the people are coming to John to be baptized, and it says, Jesus came to be baptized too. And, you know, there was this little back and forth between John the Baptist and Jesus. John, John's like, I'm not worthy to do this. But it says Jesus was baptized too. And then there's this little line. As he was praying, heaven was opened. So I just imagined how he comes up out of the water, the dove comes down. But it says he was baptized and he began to pray. Jesus began to pray. And we don't know what he he said. We don't know how long he prayed. We don't know if he bowed his head and folded his hands. Uh, We we don't know. We just know that he was praying in this moment, which which is like no turning back because John is like, you know, Lamb of God. The whole thing's happening. This is public now because the Spirit's descending like a dove and is 
far as I understand it, everybody's like, whoa. Did you see that? That looked like a bird, right? Kind of thing. Um, like, there's no turning back after this. Um, as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love and with you I am well pleased. Now, I don't get overcomplicate this, but I don't think the Holy, the Holy Spirit did not come because Jesus prayed, as if the Father said, well, I was going to send the Spirit, but you forgot to pray. <laughs> Sorry, Jesus, you messed that up. Right, right. Um, in the grand sovereign plan of God, the Father factored in Jesus' prayer. Right? There's this fellowship moment with the Father in this pivotal, crucial moment in the life of Jesus where he's praying and the disciples are watching. So I guess somehow we see that happen in the life of Jesus where we know he's praying and the disciples are watching him pray. And there's, in this moment, you might even say future disciples because we're about to see there's still future disciples. And we know that even some of John's disciples left to follow Jesus. So there's, there's people who are going to follow Jesus who are watching this moment And he's praying, and the Spirit comes. And the Father tells him something extraordinary. You're my son. As if he didn't know. Right, he knew. You're my son whom I love. And with you I'm well pleased. Before you teach a lesson. Before you preach a sermon, before you perform a miracle, before you've done any sort of public anything, I want you to know you're my beloved son. I love you and I'm pleased with you. Not... You're doing pretty good. I'm pleased with how well you've done. Like, before he starts, the father says, I'm pleased with you. And it's all in this context of prayer. And then from there he goes into the wilderness. Though Luke decides, you know, this would be a great place for a genealogy. Not sure what the decision there was, but, you know, it's not a very exciting way to begin your story. Spirit comes, hey, guess who he was the son of? Okay, yeah, Jesus tested in the wilderness. So, um, just a beautiful, beautiful moment of relationship, of love and of pleasure, because from here you go to the wilderness and you're not going to eat and it's going to be testing. Um, Fast forward, Luke 6. There's just been this big controversy over the Sabbath because Jesus does things on Saturday you're not supposed to do on Saturday. Saturday's for not doing 300 things. And Jesus does things like heal people and feed people and people get mad and want to kill him you don't do that on the Sabbath. And after this happens, it says in verse 12, on one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside 
to pray and spent the night praying to God. And when morning came, he called his disciples to him and chose 12 of them whom he also designated apostles. And the very first one on the list, Simon, whom he named Peter, and his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, and the rest of the list. Um, So, out of controversy, Jesus goes off by himself to a mountainside and he spends the entire night praying. Now, why does the Son of God need to spend the entire night praying? I don't know. (laughs) But I don't think it's because he didn't know what to do next. Like he had reached a point where he was like, I'm flummoxed. No. Um, And I don't think he was trying to twist his father's arm into doing something he didn't want to do. And I don't think it's because he didn't know who to pick. Like he had it narrowed down to 20. He's like, I'm sorry, Father. I just can't get it down to 12. (laughs) Right. Um, It says in Mark's version of this story, he called to him those he wanted, which is just beautiful in and of itself. Um, He calls the 12. He knows one of them is a thief and a betrayer. He knows they will go everywhere with him for the next couple of years, they're going to learn from him. He's going to send them out with authority. And Jesus knows what the future holds for every single one of them. Jesus knows their unique strengths, their unique weaknesses. He knows their personalities. He knows the temptations they'll face, the pressures they face. He knows what it will mean for their families, for them to follow him. And Jesus knows they will die. All for following him. Now imagine that being on you. Follow me, you're going to die for it. Imagine the emotion of that night spent with his father. I'm calling men to follow me to die. They don't know what they're signing up for and they're saying yes. So this is such a pivotal moment in Jesus' earthly ministry, and it's about to be a pivotal moment for these people who are going to follow him and who are going to say no to a lot in order to say yes to him. And prayer, an entire night of it, right there. Okay, let's jump to the next one, Luke 9. Um, Luke 9, 28 says, about eight days after Jesus had said this, so Jesus had said this was a lot, if you look at Luke 9, it's, but, but he had just, um, they had just confessed that he was the Messiah. Who do you say that I am? You're the Messiah. Peter had said it. And then Jesus follows up, you know that I'm the Messiah? Good. Now that we've got that settled, I just want you to know I'm going to die. Um, But he tells them, and if you lose your life for my sake, you will will save it. Um, What good is it if you gain the whole world and lose your own soul? Um, So basically, he's he's telling them he's going to die, and you probably will too. Um, But then he promises you're going to see glory. 
And then we see this thing where, where out of the 12, by this time, he has three guys who are kind of become like his inner circle, if you will, Peter, James, and John. And look what it says. Do you remember he just went up the mountain to pray to pick the 12? And now it says he took Peter, James, and John with him up on a mountain to pray. So now, instead of going alone, he's got three guys who are going to go and watch him and experience this. Um, and it says, just like with the Spirit coming, as he was praying. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. This is different. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus. And they spoke about his departure, which was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Moses, Elijah, and Jesus are hanging out. Jesus looks like lightning. And they're talking about Jesus dying in Jerusalem. Peter, James, and John are groggy, sleepy, rubbing their eyes. Apparently, they like roll over, and, and it says they became fully awake. You think? Yeah. They saw his glory and two men standing with him. Oh, Jesus, you look different. Um, <laughs> um, we'll have what he's having, right? It's, yeah. And as... And they saw the two men standing with him, Moses and Elijah. And, and they, as the men were leaving, Peter said, whoa, this is good. We, let's, let's put some shelters up, one for you, Moses and Elijah. We, we, let's preserve the moment. And it says Peter didn't even know what he was saying. Peter's babbling at the moment. He's half awake, half asleep. Jesus is glowing. Uh, it, he, he's just speaking. And then this cloud appears. See if this sounds familiar. A cloud appears while Peter's rambling. The cloud appears, and the, and the, and the cloud en- envelops them. So you just imagine this cloud coming, and they're standing there, and suddenly they're inside the cloud. And a voice comes from inside the cloud, and the voice says, this is my son, whom I've chosen. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. Okay. I'll listen to him. (laughs) And when the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. You think they forgot that? (laughs) You realize what a crucial moment this is for these three guys? Like, If there's any shred of doubt about who Jesus is, no longer. Do you think he's the Messiah? Well, Moses and Elijah showed up and he was like lightning and a voice came from a cloud. Yeah, that's gone. But think about what these three go on to do in the book of Acts. And think about how Peter used this. If you go and read what Peter wrote, he references this very moment to basically say, look, I saw Jesus in all his glory. We saw Jesus. We saw his face shining like lightning. And he goes on to say, but let me tell you, if you have to choose between Jesus shining, did I just die? Oh, okay. Am I good? Okay. Sorry, I popped. Um, um, He says, if you have to choose between Jesus 
shining like lightning and getting to experience what I experienced. And the word of the prophets even made more sure in writing, go with this. Like the experience of God's written word better than, it's just, like that was never repeated for Peter. Never repeated. But Peter never forgot it and he referred to it in his thinking. Okay, one more instance. I mean, there's the instances of Lord teach us to pray, but we did that. Um, It's in Luke 22. And this gets very, very personal, okay? Um, And it, it turns. So, as he was praying, the Spirit comes. There's a voice. You're my son, my beloved. I love you. I'm pleased with you. You haven't done anything public yet, but I'm pleased with you. Jesus and the Father all night long, choosing of the 12. As he's praying, transfiguration. Now, this gets really, really personal. A very different direction for Jesus' prayer. Jesus is is praying for one individual um, disciple. Now, in the Gospel of John, we have an entire chapter of Jesus praying for his followers and the people who follow because of his followers. But right here in Luke 22, we have this amazing moment, um, which is just in a fascinating situation because the Last Supper has happened. Uh, Judas has left to do the whole betrayal thing. Um, we've had the whole argument about who's going to be the greatest, which is just kind of weird, um, but expected. Um, But then he, he turns to Simon, to Peter, and he calls him Simon. Um, and he, he speaks to Simon, though, as representative of all of them. And he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. Like, Satan came to Jesus he says, Jesus, I'm just asking. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sift these, these like wheat. I'm going to run them through the ringer. I'm going to run them through a mill. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. Satan's going to sift all of you like wheat. And the implication is when you have turned back, what's he saying? You're going to turn away. You don't need to turn back unless you're going to turn away. Simon, you're going to turn away from me. And after all of you have been sifted wheat like wheat, Simon, I want you to be the one who strengthens everybody else. And Simon, of course, being pound your chest, Simon, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Let's do it, Jesus. I'll die. Prison, death, whatever. And Jesus just, you can see him sadly shaking it. Peter, before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny me three times. Deny that three times you even know me. And it's going to happen. And Simon's going to weep, weep, weep 
over his denial that he even knows Jesus. So he goes from just this declaration, I'll die for you, to his unwillingness to even admit that he knows Jesus to a servant girl in front of a fire. Sifted like wheat. Running when Jesus is arrested. Sifted like wheat. But he says, Simon, I've prayed for you. I've prayed for you. And you're going to turn back and you're going to bring your brothers back too. So this takes us into the book of Acts in a way. I mean, there's death. There's a death and a resurrection that happens. But um, if you take the coming of the Spirit to Jesus as, they, as he prayed take the choosing of the twelve after a night of prayer. You take the, the glory of Jesus in prayer. You take Jesus prophesying, predicting the sifting of wheat of the disciples, the turning of Peter and his return. This, even as I wrote this and thought this, I thought this is going to sound strange and people are going to think this sounds strange, but In a very real way, what we see in the book of Acts is the answer to Jesus' prayers. Isn't that amazing? It's like when we see Peter boldly proclaiming the gospel, when we see Peter encouraging his brothers, that's, that's Jesus' prayer answered. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and then... All these crucial, pivotal moments we'll look at, like in Jesus' life, it's almost like they're duplicated. We assume that when they're all gathered there in that room, waiting for something to happen for the Spirit to come, we assume they were gathered praying and the Spirit came. (laughs) Sounds familiar, doesn't it, right? Just all these moments, just like in the life of Jesus, as they were praying, were out of that prayer. key moments in the life of the church when the church is at prayer. Sometimes it's in response to suffering. Sometimes it's in response to an opportunity God put in front of them. We see Peter restored, ministering, leading in the power of the Spirit. But did something happen between now and then, right? Right, does... Jesus' life in us, Jesus' life in the church. You just, Lord, help us to be praying people. Give us grace for that. Not just should, could, coulda, woulda, right? Just just your life in us, the praying one. Jesus interceding for us, right? So so if you just want to follow that, Jesus prayed, the Spirit came, Jesus in his people prayed. What is Jesus going to do in his people today? He's going to help them pray. So what does it say in Romans? The Spirit intercedes for us. We don't, you don't know how to pray. You're just like sitting there groaning and moaning and grunting. You can't get anything out. And the Spirit says, that's fine. I'll translate that. Father, here's what he meant. <laughs> here's what she was saying. She couldn't get it out. Right? The Spirit is like in there teaching us to pray. Um, it's, it's, not, it's, it's us. It's us. It's Jesus in us. Right? 
So we approach this season in the life of our church, Christ in us, our hope of glory, crucified with Christ, we no longer live, Christ lives in us, we live by faith. And let me just say this. When you think about the prayers you pray in your life, think, just ponder this for a second. When you think about the prayers you pray in your life, how many, about your, how many of your prayers are about a future you do not know? A lot. <laughs> They're about a future you don't know, and that, that can make you anxious, that can make you worry. Um, what is over the hill? What is around the corner? What decisions am I going to have to make? What am I going to be faced with? What does the future hold? Jesus always prayed about a future he knew. Jesus never thought, well, what's next? I don't know. We'll see what's around the corner. <laughs> so Jesus isn't worried about anything right now, in this moment. He's not going, oh, goodness, what are we going to do? All right. So he's not worried because he knows. <laughs> so this isn't an anxious time, but this is an opportunity for the Spirit to make us a different kind of people and for us to trust him with whatever it is he puts in us and puts before us. So, why don't we pray? Lord, um, just people coming at this from so many different angles, Lord. For, um, for the people in the room who just, um, who struggle with feeling like they're your beloved, for the people who struggle with, with, with knowing that you're pleased with them just because they're yours. I pray right now that even as we talk to you, they would know that apart from whatever it is they do, you love them because they're your kid. Just help us to be convinced of that because there's a lot inside of us and a lot around us that, that tells us just the opposite, that, that we're measured by how we look and what we accomplish, and that's how beloved we are, and you don't do that. For those here who are, who are anxious about what's next, Lord, give them peace that you know what's next and help them to just rest in prayer and turning everything over to you and being thankful. Lord, for those who are facing big decisions, help them again to just um, continually turn those decisions over to you, knowing that you're not anxious. And Lord, um, for those who feel like they are just in the middle of a time of sifting, like life is just really, really difficult, and life is not what they expected life to be and it's hard and it's painful Lord um, I thank you Jesus that right at this moment you're, um, you're at the Father's right hand you're seating for us I pray Lord that the faith of my brothers and sisters in this room would not fail those um, who are being sifted would become ones who turn and strengthen others, encourage others, Lord. Holy Spirit, 
in us interceding, helping us to pray. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, Jesus. All of this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Don't forget to grab a bottle on your way out. And um, for an extra dollar donation to PACN, I'll give you mine with an orange lid. Sam Houston. Tennessee. Anybody? <laughs> no, that's, 